This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. The faith message, you want to turn it into a formula, you know, almighty formula. X is equal to, well, if AX squared plus BX plus C is equal to zero, then X is equal to minus B plus or minus root B squared minus 4AC all over 2A. I did mathematics. I did mathematics. I did mathematics. Don't mind me. I can tell you four-figure table. I can tell you log one, log two, log three, log four, log five, log six, log seven, log eight, log nine. I'll give it to four decimal places. Just offhand. I did mathematics. And I like those things. I just love figures. So it's not, it's not like it's something special. Now, um, my point is this. Sometimes we want to make the faith message become just formula. Press a button, pull a lever. Do like this, do like this, then you do like this. You know, we want to turn it to just formula. Look, if all it takes is just to believe in your heart and say, Jesus won't have needed to die. He just would have come and told all of us, just be believing and be saying. Isn't it? But no. You see, something has to be yours legally before you can appropriate it vitally. And many times, people either get overbalanced on the legal side of redemption or sometimes they get overbalanced on the vital side of redemption. You know, some people think, if I just say 10,000 times, then I'll be healed. You know, if I just say 250,000 times. We've turned it into a formula sometimes, you know. My saying that I'm healed is not what's going to heal me. Jesus healed me 2,000 years ago. My saying, I'm not saying I'm healed so I will be healed. I'm saying I'm healed because I am healed. Now, is there a sense in which faith's confessions create realities? Yes, there is. You know, it's like I think that if I'll just have faith, God will bless me. Look, God has blessed me already with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But for God's sake, I don't want to enjoy them in heavenly places. I want to enjoy them on this earth. Faith is the means by which I appropriate what already belongs to me. Believing and speaking, is that scriptural? Absolutely. But we must realize that it's like, I tell you that, you tell me you need money. I say, you know what, if you need money, just take an ATM card and just go and put it inside the ATM machine. Or just take a checkbook and write a check. My friend, have an account in the bank. Yes. Then have money in the account. Yes. Otherwise, it's EFCC that will come to carry you. Do you get my point? So all these things are methods of obtaining healing. The healing is ours. It was purchased in redemption. It belongs to us. So these are just methods of appropriating it. Sometimes, you know, people just have faith in prayer. Now, should we have faith in prayer? Yes, in a sense. But our faith, the foundation of it, is the word of God. And we must remember that the written word is given to unveil the living word. Amen. Christianity is a relationship. It's about the father and his family. And there are rights and privileges we have in the family. Amen. Is this scriptural to believe and to speak? Absolutely. But we mustn't do it from a religious perspective that lacks understanding. We must know who we are in Christ. We must know that these things belong to us in Christ. Then we are just appropriating what already is ours. Amen. So we said, number one, demand it in the name of Jesus. Number two, we said, pray to the Father in the name of Jesus for your healing. Number three, agree with someone. And the thing about the prayer of agreement is that usually when the parties involved, the thing they are agreeing on concerns them. Then their heart usually is more into it. 
Amen. And there are times you could just get somebody to stand with you. Just agree with me about this. Something you need. Now, why do I say that? Let's say you have, there's somebody who's in, uh, somewhere in your hometown and is sick. And just go and meet someone. I want you to agree with me that God will heal that person. What if that person doesn't want to be healed? What if that person is busy saying, this thing is killing me. I'm about to die now. And you say, well, we are agreeing. See, God is not a witch. He's not going to violate their will. He won't. So, usually, if the thing we're agreeing on involves us, it works better. Or at least that person gives us the permission to agree concerning it or to agree with them concerning it. And we must, when it comes to prayer, sometimes we just make it like a stab in the dark. We just pray to solve our consciences so that they won't say we didn't pray. We shouldn't do that. I'll give a story that illustrates this. This time, I tell a lot of Brother Higgins stories. This is his school, so it won't hurt to tell his stories. Will it? I don't think it would. Well, there was this time, they needed a certain amount of money in the family. By certain, they needed that amount of money. So he told his wife, on Sunday at such and such a time, he mailed her, I want you to open your Bible to Matthew 18, 19. I'll do the same right where I am. And let's just agree that such and such amount will come in in the offering by such and such a date. They agreed. And that settled it. That day came. He finished that meeting. It was December, just before Christmas. So the pastor he preached for, they took the offering. And that pastor said, well, the ushers are busy and all that. So they had to count it themselves. So they just split it in two. Not necessarily equal to. They hadn't counted it. Just split it in two. Said, you count this half. I'll count the other half. So they counted. When they finished counting, the money was less by about $23.12. He told that pastor, he said, let's count it again. He said, look, my wife and I agreed. It has to be here. That money has to come in. It must have, it must, it has to have come in. He said, let's count it again. Then he took the pastor's half. He gave the pastor his own half. They counted. He came to the same figure. Less by $23.12. He said, let's count it again. He said, they counted it the third time. It was the same thing. He said, let's count it again. They counted it the fourth time. It was the same thing. About that time, he remembered that there was one lady who... Um, was going to buy a Bible on his book desk. And um, she issued a check. The Bible was $25. And then she said she was going to include an extra offering for him in the check. So she was going to write a check above that. And I remembered, oh, there's this check I have in the envelope. He pulled it out. And what was, in, what was the check? It was a check of $50. So actually, $25 was for the Bible. Then the other $25. Now, they were looking for the $23.12. Actually, the money was over by $1.88. Then they now told that pastor, said, uh-huh, now we can stop counting. Someone said, what would you have done if you hadn't seen it? He said, I would still have been in that pastor's house counting it. I wouldn't have left. I wouldn't have left. It has to be there. It has to be there. He said, otherwise, I'll have to go everywhere I have ever preached. And I'll have to tell them, folks, Jesus lied. When he said, if two shall agree on earth, as such as anything they shall ask. He didn't mean it. It's not true. You see, when we get that serious about prayer, we get results. There are sometimes you say, How did it go? And eh, well, eh, it didn't quite work out. But I wasn't even expecting it in the first place. I feel like saying, Then why did you waste my time that should I agree with you? Amen. Let's pray to get results. Praise God. Well, the fourth method, James 5 14 and 15. That's to anoint the sick with all in the name of Jesus. James 5, 14 and 15. The Bible says there that is any sick among you, 
Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, that's another method. Now, like I said yesterday, when the Bible talks about the sick there, it's talking about the person that's so sick he can't help himself. Amen. So sick he can't help himself. So, what is he to do? Is to call for the elders of the church. Now, we notice that it's not the elders that save the sick. We said that yesterday. It's not the oil that saves the sick. It's the prayer of faith that does. Now, people have made a big deal out of oil, a larger-than-life deal out of oil. Now, that, the, there's a way some people use oil that really, it's scriptural, but in the Old Testament. And we're not in the Old Covenant anymore, so it's no longer scriptural. It would have been okay if we were in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you see, that anointing oil must be composed a certain way. Olive oil of such and such amount. Cinnamon of such and such amount. This of such and such amount. It has to be compounded a certain way. Then that oil itself was holy. If somebody who it shouldn't touch goes to touch it and starts playing with it, it will kill him. It was sacred. Now, that was in the Old Covenant. When there was types and shadows... We're not in the old covenant anymore. We're in the new covenant. You know, I've had people come to meet me and say, give me a bottle of oil and say, just pray over this oil and bless it. Sometimes I just have to give it back to them. Why? Why? You are blessed yourself. Okay, why? So that it will become a good luck charm. And then maybe there are thieves in the neighborhood and you're looking for, you say, is my oil there? It's there, it's there. They won't come here. How are you different from the man that his own is a broom that they tied something to and they gave him from the village? In the new covenant, then I also observed that oil was used in the new covenant. It was never used to separate people to the ministry in the new covenant. Did you ever notice that? I did. In Acts 6, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a moment of Christians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. They said, it's not reason for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Look here among yourselves, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we appoint over this business. The same pleased the whole multitude. Then they chose seven men and they laid hands on them. And that was all they did. The number of disciples multiplied. The great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Acts 6, 1 to 7. In Acts 13, there were in the church that was an Antioch from verse 1. Certain prophets and teachers such as gives the names of five men. Sats with Barnabas and Saul. As he ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. And they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed. They didn't use oil. All they did was lay hands. Paul was talking about to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift of God that's in thee. Neglect not the gift of God that's in thee. That was given it through the laying on of hands of the presbytery. So we never see oil used the way it was used in the Old Testament. It wasn't used like that in the New Testament. And listen, we're not in the Old Covenant anymore. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, that's when the Old Covenant ended. Should we read the Old Testament today? Absolutely. We should learn from the Old but we shouldn't try to live in the old. We should live in the new. So, the oil doesn't heal the sick. It's the prayer of faith that does. Oil is just a symbol. Somebody said, when Jesus gave his disciples power, what he did was he gave them a bottle of oil each. That's dishonest. That's dishonest. The word was dunamis. I never saw that dunamis was a bottle. You know, you've turned God into a genie inside a, a God that you can swallow and you can bottle him. No, that can be true. That can't be true. You know, is it scriptural to use oil in ministry to the sick? It is. But for God's sake, our faith should not be in the oil. It should be in the power of God. 
It's the Lord that will raise him up, not the oil. There's nothing to the oil. You can use it to fry egg. You can use it to oil your hair. You can use it to, to fry plantain. Nothing to it. Not anymore. In the old covenant, there was. But in the new covenant, there isn't. Amen. I should bless the oil, especially for you. Why don't you just say, I should speak a blessing over your life? But the truth is this. What's wrong with your own mouth? He shall have whatever he said. You too speak a blessing yourself. I'm not more righteous than you are. The name of Jesus does not belong to me more than it belongs to you. We say, well, they are faith extenders. Hmm. Let's just be careful. We just might be extending ourselves in trouble. Amen. So, I've learned to be silent where the New Testament is silent and to be loud where it is loud. Amen. Oil was used in ministry to the sick. Now, incidentally, Jesus never used oil to minister to the sick. If you come to level two, you may find out why. Yeah, in healing class, we just might talk about the reason why he never did. He didn't need to. But, and now, if Jesus never used it once, then it's not such a big deal of a method. And then, in the New Testament, well, there are three places we have oil spoken about relative to the sick. One was the case of the, the Good Samaritan. You know, the oil was just used medicinally to heal his wound. That's all. So you don't count that. The other two instances, this one in James 5, 14 and 15, and the other one in Mark 6, 12 and 13, how the disciples anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. He didn't say the oil healed them. He said they healed them. How did they heal them? Remember, he gave them dunamis as well as exousia. Luke 9, 1, Luke 10, 19, to heal the sick. He didn't give them, you know, alepsantis and say, be, be, just be pouring oil on them. That's not what he said. Amen. Those are Greek words. So, oil, is it scriptural to do that? Yes, it is. But our faith should not be in the oil. Our faith should be in God's word. Let's stay within the boundaries of scripture. It's just like sometimes, you know, I've been in meetings. People said, you see, this bread is Jesus' body. It's not. You see, this, this wine, as you're drinking it, is the blood of Jesus you're drinking. If you enter, no, it's not. You see, as it enters your mouth, Tarling will start acting on it to start digesting it. Then to get to your stomach, then the gastric juices will start acting on it. You know where that thing is going to end? It's going to end in the, in the toilet. Now, am I trying to make light of communion? I'm not. Is communion a big deal? It is. But don't let's forget, those emblems are symbols. We're doing it in remembrance of Jesus. Where is the power? Is the power in the bread? You know, some people say, I ate the bread. As I'm eating this bread now, power is going into my mouth. No, power is not going into your mouth. Bread is going into your mouth. You know, this is the blood of Jesus. His blood was shed once and for all. We don't need to shed, keep shedding it again. It has been shed. But you see, when we do that, we remember what was done. We call it to remembrance. Now, can somebody be healed on the communion table? Absolutely. You say, why? Because we are acting on the word of God. Where is the power? It's in the word. Where is the power? It's in Jesus and the finished work that he did. It's good to keep some of these things in context. Otherwise, it's mighty easy to get off. Amen. So, it's oil. Is it scriptural to use oil? It is. Very scriptural. Nothing wrong with it. Can you have a bottle of olive oil in your church? Oh, yeah. Why not? You can have it by your poopy, anywhere you want to have it. You can have it in your house. But for God's sake, the oil is not the issue. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. Somebody said the Holy Spirit, the oil is the Holy Spirit in a bottle. If it is, then this fan is the Holy Spirit in a metal. 
then that match box in your house is the Holy Spirit in a box. Because fire is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. Just like oil is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. All those things are, is they are symbols. Now, are they scriptural symbols? They are. It's just like saying, no, I won't touch a dove again in my life. That's the Holy Ghost. How can a dove be the Holy Ghost? It's a symbol. Typifying his gentleness. That's all. Amen. Let's stay with the word. With the rightly divided scripture. Say, but so and so does so and so. Well, I don't know what so and so does. I respect people. I won't speak ill of anybody. But when it comes to what is written, is what is written, that is what is written. Let's stay with what is written. And we won't be in trouble. Amen. Do we have any business running anybody down? We don't. Not if we don't want to get into trouble. If you want to get in trouble, yeah, run folks down. You get into God's trouble. The Bible says, who are thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. He shall be holding up. God is able to make him stand. You know, there are people who have done awesome things for God. Awesome ministers of the gospel. Doing such a great, a great job for him. We don't speak disparagingly of anybody. But you see, when it comes to Bible doctrine, we will not magnify a man above what is written. Amen. And we can never go wrong staying with the word. All right, so that's about oil. Is it scriptural to use that? It is. But please, the oil is, there's nothing to the oil. Oil is oil. It's just a symbol representing the fact that the power of the Holy Ghost will come upon that person. You know, sometimes we have anointing service. And then we say, everybody should bring oil. For God's sake. You know, some of those things, they amuse me. They just amuse me. They just amuse me. You have the Holy Ghost in you. You have an unction from the Holy One. You know all things. The anointing which you've received of him abides in you. You need not that any man should teach you. And then somebody will say, that oil is what destroys you. How? It doesn't. Now, is this scriptural to use oil to minister to the sick? It is. But is it the oil that's going to heal them? It's not. Should your faith be in that oil? Yes, I've seen the oil. Let that oil touch me. Once that oil touches me, once that oil touches me, well, it's not the oil that's the issue. It's the prayer of faith that is. Now, let me ask a question. When the Bible says the prayer of faith will save the sick, whose faith? Whose faith? Let me say this, and I, I can't say much about it. Prayer principles class. You'll hear more about it. You see, it's not the elders that determine whether a prayer of faith was prayed. It's the sick man. How does he do that? By calling the things that be not as though they were. And the moment he's prayed for, that's his point of contact when he releases his faith. And he starts believing that he receives his healing. Amen. That's a point of contact. All it is is a point of contact. It's a point of contact. Amen. It's the point where the person starts believing that he receives. Praise God. Then also, remember Paul was talking to the Romans. And he was talking about the mutual faith of both of them. That when he comes, he wants to impart to them some spiritual gift to the end that they may be established. You know, and I was talking about through their mutual faith. Many times the elders come, or the elder, he comes in faith. The sick man also comes in faith, then there's a mutual faith. Now, if a person is a bona fide baby Christian, bona fide baby Christian, not an overgrown baby Christian, who shouldn't be baby anymore, but a bona fide one, either he's a baby or he hasn't been exposed to divine healing, you can carry him on your faith. In some cases, if I can get a, get a fellow on neutral gear, I'll get him healed. Don't believe for your healing. Hmm? But just give me the permission to get it for you. In some cases, I can do that. I've done that and I've seen them get healed. But once people have been exposed to God's word, God expects them to walk in the light of what they have. He expects them, even if they are not going to do the believing, at least they should agree with you who is believing. 
Amen. And in some cases, he wants them to do some believing for themselves. But anointing with all is scriptural. It's in the New Testament. We have two witnesses on it. Only two, you know, which is instructive, but at least we have two. And the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we have two in the New Testament, so we can establish it. All right. Then um, a fifth method is the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Another translation says, these signs shall accompany the believing ones. What were the signs? In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Mark 16, 17 and 18. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. According to Mark's account, those are the last 11 words Jesus spoke. Who's to lay hands on the sick? The believer is. So every believer can do this. Every believer can do this. Is this scriptural? It is. In actual fact, it is even a doctrine. There was one man, he said, well, that the Lord was dealing with him about laying on of hands in ministering to people. But he had to back off of it because he didn't want to make a doctrine out of it. The truth is he didn't have to make a doctrine out of it. Jesus already made a doctrine out of it. He didn't need his help. Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That word perfection means maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. We notice that six things are mentioned. They are fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ, foundational, so they are basic, which everybody should be instructed in. One of them is the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands predates the New Testament. It was in the Old Covenant. The Bible says Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid hands on him. Now, we see that also happen in the New Testament. You know, stir up the gift of God that's in, given by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Don't neglect the gift and so on. So, that's also in the New Testament. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest will lay hands on that scapegoat and confess the sins of the people on it. There were two of them, lost, lots were cast. One was the Lord's goat. The other one, you know, one was killed. The blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. And this is the way that Holy of Holies was. There was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark had three things. One was the Ten Commandments. The other was, one was Aaron's rod that budded. The other was a pot of manna. And then there was the mercy seat, you know, that was on that Ark. And why mercy had to be on the ark was this. If God were to look down, he would see his law. And that law was broken. Believe me, they used to break it. Humorously, I like to say that God didn't give his law so that men could keep it. He gave his law so that men will know that they can't keep it. And if this is your righteous requirement, oh God, we need help. And God would say, yes, I knew you needed help. I just wanted you guys to see it. And this is the help. His name is Jesus. Now, that's speaking in a holistic sense. Then the mercy seat, then there were the cherubims and all. So the animal, the blood will be sprinkled on that mercy seat. So that when God is trying to look at his law there, he will see mercy and he will see the blood, a covering for their sins. And that kept them for one year. The high priest went into that place with great precaution. There was a chain attached to him. He could fall dead. And if he fell dead, you don't go in there to pick him. You fall dead too. So there was a chain that was attached to him. And then there were bells 
on his dress so that the bells will be ringing if he's still alive as he's walking. When you stop hearing the bells and you try to pull, no resistance. You try to pull, no resistance. Ah, Yahweh don't gas. <laughs> You're in trouble for one year. The high priest, oh, he has died. You know? So you pull out the dead body and then, oh God, what do we do now? But don't, aren't you glad we have a new covenant? Once and for all. Once and for all. He went into heaven itself for us. Amen. And the father accepted his sacrifice. Praise God. So yes, laying of hands was also used there. But in the New Testament, yes, it was used in laying hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost. But it was also used in ministry to the sick. Separating people to the ministry, appointing deacons, and so on. Things, spiritual endowments being imparted. Those are uses of the laying on of hands. One of them is in ministry to the sick. Now, who can lay hands? Any believer can. Any believer can. And the laying on of hands can be done from two perspectives. One is as a point of contact. What do we mean point of contact? I mean the point when you start believing that you receive your healing. The moment you release your faith and start believing that you receive, that's a point of contact. So it can be practiced from that perspective. Also, the laying on of hands can be practiced from the standpoint of the law of contact and transmission. The law of contact and transmission. There is a healing anointing. It's a tangible substance. It's a heavenly materiality. It's perceptible to the touch. Amen. We read in Luke 3, from 21 to 23, how Jesus got baptized by immersion in water. Came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily shape as a dove. You know, and the Father spoke from heaven, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Then we go over to chapter 4. And verse 1 says, And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Then from verse 1 through to 13, we read the account of his temptation. How you whip the devil, all three counts, with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. Amen. Then the devil left him for a moment, waited for a more opportune moment. And of course, Jesus whipped him every time. Then we get to the 14th verse. And the Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. It says, and they went about a fame of him through all the region round about. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as his custom was, and he stood up for to read. It says, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Actually, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Where it's written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Bible says, and he closed the book and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, it seems to me that that was the first sermon Jesus preached everywhere he went. And I can prove that from the scriptures. I can prove that from the scriptures. So he told them that. Accent 38 also says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. See, Jesus was anointed with healing power. Amen. He was anointed with healing power. In Matthew 14, 34 to 36, the Bible says that when they were gone over, came to the land of Genesaret, and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent about into all the country and brought unto him all that were sick 
And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. What kind of knowledge do you think they had of him? That he was a carpenter? You think that was the knowledge they had of him? If that was the knowledge they had of him, they would have brought their furniture that was broken. You know? And those that wanted to make more furniture would have come and said, yes, this is the dimension I want. What was the knowledge you think they had of him? That he was a fine boy? Ah, if it was that, then all the pro prospective, you know, uh, wise materials would have been the ones that came out. I said, there's a fine boy in town. who is well-mannered. You know, if it was that kind of knowledge they had of him. But it wasn't. They had knowledge of him and they went to bring the sick. The knowledge they had of him was to have something to do with him as a healer. Amen. So you see, there is an anointing to heal. There is an anointing to heal. Now, God will use some people that way. He will. Amen. And he does. Like Paul the Apostle. The Bible says of him in Acts 19, 11 and 12. It says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick, handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now I know we can lay hands on anything. I can lay hands on this book. And I say, well, if you give it to a sick man and he holds it, he'll be healed. It won't be because there was anything transmitted. That's as a point of contact. Then the moment the man touches it, then he becomes his point of contact when he releases his faith or when you release your faith. And yes, can things happen like that? Things can. But I'm talking about when there is an actual transference of power. Amen. There's such a thing as, you see, that healing anointing is just like electricity in the natural. John G. Lake said something. He said, if people only knew that healing is not only a matter of faith and the grace of God, but a perfectly scientific application of God's spirit to meet man's needs. He said, Jesus revealed and applied the laws of the spirit. See, there are laws that govern the operation of God's power. You know, man did not invent electricity. Electricity has been here since creation. Man only discovered it. In the same way, like electricity is God's power in the natural. The anointing is God's power in the spiritual. The more we understand the laws that govern it, the more we can appropriate it. The more we can make use of it to get people healed. You know, now we're doing exploits with electricity. Aren't we? We are. Current electricity, static electricity, AC, DC. Amen. We're doing a lot of stuff because we're learning to apply. Michael Faraday, there were people that lost their lives trying to study about electricity. But thank God, there's a whole lot that's available now. We have God's word. And if we go into it, we can learn the laws that govern the power of God. For one, like I said, it is a tangible substance. Praise God. Now, sometimes in 1989, 1989, January, January 15, January 15, 1989 was a Sunday. About 10 o'clock, there was a book I was studying. I just finished studying the book. I was getting off the bed. And then I heard a voice, still small voice, deep down on the inside of me. The voice spoke up and said this. There's an anointing on your hands to minister to the sick. Then it said something else. You know, I thought to myself, what's that? You know? I didn't pay more attention to it. I wasn't sure I was ready to accept it. Then a few weeks down the line, a minister walks up to me and said, well, a while back, God told you this, and he repeated it word for word. Even the rest I didn't say just now. He repeated everything. And then he said this. He said, you didn't want to accept it when God told you. But he's asked me to tell you that he meant every word of it. And he wants you to take it very seriously. So I began to get a bit more serious about it. Then this is what I noticed. I noticed that at times... 
Especially sometimes when I'm worshiping God, preparing for a meeting, or ministering to the sick, I feel this thing, you know, flowing out of my hands. I used to feel that, feel it like that. Then, then later that year, March, March 22nd, in case you want to know, March 22nd of 1989 was a Wednesday, about 7.25 in the evening. I remember it like yesterday. I was wearing a navy blue trouser. I was wearing a pink shirt. The pink shirt was short sleeve. I remember it. I remember exactly where I sat. See, spiritual things don't grow old. Then um, that same voice spoke up, and this is what it said. He said, I've given you a ministry of laying on of hands to lay hands on the sick and get them healed and to lay hands on believers and get them filled with the Holy Ghost. <sighs> I thought to myself, ministry? I don't know there's any such ministry as laying on of hands. I know the apostle, I know the prophet, I know the evangelist, I know the pastor, I know the teacher. Well, you know, if it's the Spirit of God, it'll line up with the Word of God. And God will never be angry with you for wanting to check stuff out with his Word. We should always put the Word first. We should always do that. Amen. Well, I got to studying later, and this is what I discovered. In Acts 8, 5 to 8, Philip went down to Samaria, precast unto them. The people gave heed to one accord, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits, crying out a loud voices, came out of men that were possessed. Many that were lame and had the palsy were healed. There was great joy in that city. Then we get to verse 12, and it says, When they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized both men and women. So those guys got born again. Then in verse 14, it says, When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Verse 17 says, And when they had laid hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. Verse 18 says, And when Simon the sorcerer saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power. That on whomsoever I lay my hands, he might receive the Holy Ghost. Then Peter answered him, Thy money perish with thee. For thou hast taught that the gift of God, the gift of God, I checked up that word, gift, is the word charisma. May be purchased with money. Thou hast neither lot nor part in this matter. The root word matter there is the root word for utterance in Acts 2 4. So he's saying in this matter of utterance, being filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, you don't have part or lot in it. Now notice he wasn't asking for offering money to receive the Holy Ghost. He was offering money to receive the power to impact the Holy Ghost. Peter also corroborated that. And Peter called the laying on of hands a gift. Now, you notice Philip got them born again. Why didn't Philip get them filled with the Holy Ghost? Why didn't he? Now, he could have, he could have done it by faith. Any believer can lay hands on someone else to receive the Holy Ghost by faith. But you know, there's no use trying to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Sometimes God calls some people as specialists in some areas. And sometimes he especially uses some people along some lines. So he knew, well, there's Peter and John there. Let them come and do this one. My own, I'll get them born again. Let them come get them filled with the Holy Ghost. And then Peter said, you have taught that the gift of God, charisma, miraculous faculty. If he was talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Greek word that we would have used would have been doria. But it wasn't doria. Because he was talking about the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He was talking about a spiritual endowment. So he called the laying on of hands to impart the Holy Ghost a spiritual endowment. Now you notice that the first time the Lord talked to me about it, he just talked about laying hands 
on people for healing. Then the next time he talked about it, he talked about laying hands on people for healing and to receive the Holy Ghost. Well, I got to read in my Bible one time. I saw in Acts 9, verse 17. You know, well, if you start from verse 10, a certain disciple at Damascus, named Ananias, to him said the Lord in a vision, Arise and go to the street, which is called Straight, inquire in the house of Judah. So one called Saul of Tassel, the holy prayer. And I'd seen in a vision a man called Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. So when the Lord spoke to Ananias at first, he spoke to him to lay hands on Saul of Tarsus for healing. But when you get to verse 17, he says, And Ananias went his way and entering into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee on the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Somewhere along the line, he added the Holy Ghost part to it. Well, he did the same with me. So, it can be used to minister the laying on of hands for healing. It can also be used to minister the Holy Ghost and even other things. But there's a ministry there. That's my point. There's a ministry there. Well, so I began to yield to the Lord some more along that line. And yes, did we see the sick get healed? We did. I remember now, 1991. 1991, December 2nd was a Monday. For some reason, I just decided to spend that day just waiting on the Lord. I prayed. Prayed the whole day. Didn't eat. You know, just prayed. You know, the whole day. Didn't have much of an appetite, so I didn't take any food. By past 11, I decided to break my fast, so I ate something. But I just had a sense in my heart like, hmm, I should take some extra time, some protracted time. I just sensed it, just to minister to the Lord. So I did. December the 3rd, the 4th, and the 5th. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So I didn't eat any food. I took just fluid those three days. And by the way, that's the longest I've ever fasted in my life, three days. Always by the third answer, third day I got the answer and I quit. Now I've gone for months taking only one meal a day, but... To not take food at all. Yes, there was once I didn't take water too. You know, but I don't advise people to do that anyway. Your body can go without food, but not without water. It could kill you. And then some people's bodies are suited for long fasts. Some people's bodies are not. You can fast until you go to heaven fast. You can fast your way into premature death. You can. You see, sometimes we lack common sense in some of these areas. Amen. Some people have damaged their bodies in the name of fasting. You know, somebody said, anybody that ever had power with God fasted 40 days. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, Moses. I said, no, he didn't. He was in the glory of God 40 days. The 40 days might have looked like 40 minutes. He said, Elijah, Elijah ate angels' food. In fact, the angels told him. He said, the journey is far. Eat. He ate small first. Then they said, eat more. You remember that one angel at Sennacherib, the issue with Sennacherib, one angel in one night slew 185,000 people. You now eat the food that a fellow like that eats. And you tell me you went 40 days without food. I beg you. If I eat them, I go go 80 days without food. So I won't call that a bona fide fast either. You say, well, Jesus fasted 40 days. If you read his own account, the Bible says after the 40 days, he was hungry. It seems like he wasn't hungry the 40 days. So who knows? He might have been caught up in the glory too. Amen. You don't need to fast for power. The Bible says you receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you. You don't need to fast for revival. He said if you preach the word, I'll back it up with signs following. Amen. 
Now, am I trying to make lazy Christians out of us who don't fast? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. The church was never instructed to fast. Never. It was implied. Paul said in fastings often. The epistles are the letters written to the church. There wasn't one time we were told to fast. It was just implied. Now, is it okay to fast? Yes, it is. But it should be as led by the Spirit. Should be as led by the Spirit. I don't believe in just having days and periods of fasting and just fast for fasting. Let's be led. Sometimes a church could declare a fast. That's okay. Amen. And sometimes just spiritual exercise. You know, we just say, okay, let me just take some time off and just pray some. It's okay. Praise God. Well, December back, December 3rd. So I sensed I should just take this extra time, and I did. The first day, I talked in tongues like 10 hours at a stretch. The next day, I talked in tongues about 15 hours. I'm a good one to watch and pray. If I said it was 15, it was 15 because I timed it. The third day, I talked in tongues 19 hours. Now, that's not the longest I've talked in tongues. You know, it's good. You know, I want to get to heaven. And I don't want Paul to be able to quote 1 Corinthians 14, 18. And say, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you I want him to be able to say, where is that Tokes guy? If he's here, it's not true. <laughs> you know? It's just good, isn't it? And I know it's not only me. And I know there are people that even pray much more. Amen. You know, we brag about... We brag about everything. Your car is bigger than my car. My car is bigger than your car. My house, your house. But what about bragging about praying? What about bragging about walking in love? I can forgive faster than you can. I can let go of God quicker than you can. You know, what about bragging on? I can be a bigger blessing. Amen. And just provoking one another onto love and good works. Amen. Not because we're in competition with one another. No, we're not. But let's encourage one another. I read where Brother Higgins said he prayed five hours, 45 minutes. The first time I read that thing, my God. See, the first day in my life I talked in tongues for one hour. It was like I was going to die. It was one Sunday afternoon in 1986. I remember it. It was Sunday. It was Sunday afternoon. It was Sunday afternoon. It was Sunday afternoon. You want to know the time? It was between three and four in the afternoon. Yes, I remember. I remember. I remember the bunk. I remember who was my bunk mate. Is one fellow by the name Dejofa Bolude. Yeah. I remember the person whose bed was opposite mine. It was one fellow by the name Adegoroye. Yinka Adegoroye. His bunk was opposite mine. I remember it. You know. Anyway. So, that day, you know, the third day. You want to know what happened the third day? Well, we'll pick it up now. information and inquiries please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163